재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵. All right, we are back. We are continuing economic focus. Uh, we're talking about uh, a recent meeting held by uh, central bankers in the United States. Uh, the Federal Reserve Chairperson Janet Yellen, uh, the uh, media reaction, of course, was intense after uh, it was deemed that she was hinting that uh, the conditions were ripe for or at least favorable for an interest rate hike, which would have, of course, uh, strong ramifications, not just to the United States, but to economies all over the world. So we're going to try to uh, continue our look at this issue. Text us a pound 1013 for 51 or send us a Kakao Talk message by adding TBS EFM as a plus friend. Uh, joining us here in the studio, uh, we have Professor Yang Jun-suk. We're going to get the uh, thoughts of another economist very shortly on the line. Professor Yang, and we've talked about the uh, Japanese situation at some length now. Uh, the central bank there, the Bank of Japan, Governor Haruhiko Kuroda, uh, if saying basically that he is going to one-up on all of this attention being paid to Yellen, and he wants to expand stimulus and you mentioned it very clearly, negative, but he wants to lower interest rates further if need be. Well, you have to remember what it says need be. He's not really changed positions. He's always said that uh, if you need to go lower, then we'll go lower. You just have to do two, two things. One, uh, you have other reforms or other policies which are just as important as monetary policy, but uh, Japan has not pursued actively. Uh, fiscal policy being one, but uh, Abe has just announced that he will uh, do a active uh, fiscal policy. And then structural reforms, which is still perhaps not uh, being done as actively as it should have. Uh, and then... Um, he really can't do anything else at the moment. Mm-hmm. If he goes against, say, everybody else in saying that, well, we will no longer have an active policy, active monetary policy, then I think it'll cause uh, quite a chaos in the market. And even uh, stronger still, I think Kuroda himself probably thinks that this is the only way out of this. Uh, if you want to get inflation, then the standard theoretical answer is to print more money. Right. All right. Well, uh, we're going to try to get the thoughts of another economist. Very pleased to have joining us on the line from the University of Canberra, banking and finance professor Milind Satie. Hello. Hello. Professor, thank you for joining us. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on the recent comments by Janet Yellen. She made it clear once again that any rate decision uh, would be heavily data dependent. Um, in your view, if you look at the data, I know it's subject to interpretation. What is your Uh, I suppose, uh, opinion of the uh, U.S. economic strength data-wise. Do you think the fundamentals are solid enough to accommodate a rate hike? Well, the the thing is that data-wise, I think um, the current picture of the U.S. economy is um, encouraging. When you consider the several fundamentals that underpin interest rate decisions. Now, a couple of these are the economic growth rate, which is looking good, it is 1.2% um, in the second quarter of 2016 and increased from 0.8%, which was in the first quarter. And then you have the price situation um, and the job growth. And um, these are also showing encouraging signs. Consumer spending is also strong. But um, there are some downsides in the, in the sense that the U.S. business investment is still weak. 
and exports are of course getting hurt as the dollar becomes uh, stronger so overall uh, this situation uh, does point to some positives however i can understand um, the hesitation of the um, of the fed uh, to make any uh, you know any firm commitment as such though she has been dropping hints mm-hmm. at um, uh, for for a rate rise and Professor Yang Junsuk, who's joining me here in the studio. Uh, Professor Yang, uh, I remember talking, this was in the, uh, I guess, heyday of uh, QE and uh, people who were warning about it. Uh, one analogy I read was like, this is essentially like if you have an investor, um, think of it as giving a junkie heroin or crack cocaine, that it's such an addictive uh, type of thing that it's so almost impossible to pull out. But despite that, do you believe that so-called normalization of U.S. monetary policy is something that is necessary or desirable, or do you think it's something that is not necessarily in this new normal that it applies? Okay, well, I'm going to hedge my answer and say both. Uh, I think uh, eventually you have to get back to normal. And problem is, I think a lot of... uh, Perhaps the majority of current people who are working in Wall Street at the uh, working level are not really used to having uh, interest rate which are higher than zero, one, oh, one or two percent. Uh, so that's worrying, and I think uh, we need to go to, back to normal. Be, uh, normal on that, but if you go to normal too quickly, you're going to kill the patient. Mm. So uh, you may get him off. Uh, drugs, but like you don't withdrawal want symptoms is withdrawal symptoms. Si- not only the withdrawal symptoms, but uh, just Relapse. the systems, the shock to the system may be enough to kill the patient. Yeah. Uh, now we're getting around to the uh, stage where I think we may be able to save the patient, mm. uh, but still, uh, I think yeah, we need to get back to normal uh, soon, but. Uh, Right. If we do it too soon, then you're just going to uh, drive things back into recession again. All the doctors listening probably saying, enough with all this medical <laughs> analogies here uh, dealing with U.S. monetary policy. Now, Professor Satya, uh, there are concerns here in South Korea. We've just talked about the BOJ and how Japan, which has a currency that is considered a, a safe haven. But uh, the risks of capital flight, how real are they for a country like South Korea? And do you think um, if you have a loss of Western funds in a country like South Korea, it could create a, a spillover effect uh, and maybe a, a contagion that could get out of control? Well, in my opinion, I mean, capital flight, generally occurs uh, from countries that have high debt as compared to the GDP. Now, emerging markets in particular uh, need a steady inflow of capital to pay debts and also to fund their deficits and invest in infrastructure. Uh, But when the inflow dries up, then uh, such economies become vulnerable to a slowdown and they can even go into a recession. We need to remember that zero Fed rate for years has led to a substantial outflow of capital from the U.S. to the emerging economies. And a rate rise by the Fed would make the U.S. attractive, which could trigger capital outflow and probably a gradual unwinding of an excessive uh, excessive inflow. Um, so 
uh, the the I mean basically the date binge that was shown by countries including by South Korea uh, do make them uh, somewhat vulnerable for capital outflow. I mean if you see the uh, IMF report last year, probably it, it said that. Um, the debt to GDP ratio of Korea rose by something like 45 percent, mm-hmm. uh, similar to Malaysia and Thailand, and that of China by something like 83 percent. So, such high debt ratios um, can uh, give rise uh, to the risk of a capital flight. Right now, Professor Yang, uh, this is a time when, as you've documented for us uh, many times on this program, many central banks, including uh, in Europe and in Japan, they are essentially heading into the other direction as far as monetary policy is concerned. Uh, Does this mean that the U.S. as an outlier is at risk for uh, certain other um, negative side effects? Although, albeit their domestic economy is really what drives GDP uh, for the most part, but in terms of things like export competitiveness, are those things they have to worry about? Well, they are worrying about it, and that's one of the concerns. When you look at the second quarter GDP growth for the United States, some people, uh, some analysts complained that it would have been higher if the uh, U.S. dollar hasn't appre- hadn't appreciated. The exports rose, but only by, I think, uh, 0.1 percent. So uh, there has been some concerns about that. But having said that, though, as you mentioned, unlike Korea – uh, where the uh, export is about 50% of the GDP. In the U.S., export share of GDP is only about 13 to 14%. So they're going to be driven more by their domestic economy, their uh, domestic uh, labor market, uh, than, uh, than uh, possible loss in export competitiveness. Uh, one thing that they might consider a lot more is pr- – the chances of a lot of capital uh, outflow in some of the emerging economies because I don't think they want to set off another t- uh, the uh, taper tantrum that they had mm-hmm. like a uh, couple of years ago. Uh, but I think uh, they're pri- uh, they've, the Fed has primarily uh, made its decisions based on domestic economy. So how they, well they do on the exports will uh, be an element in it, but I don't think it's going to be the most important element. Professor Satie, um, as we've talked about, certainly there were economists who may have some philosophical misgivings about quantitative easing, but uh, other critics might say, well, the uh, actual policy itself did not have its intended effect as far as supporting uh, price growth. Do you believe that um, that the Federal Reserve could have taken more risks or more radical and unorthodox policy measures like, let's see, what we've seen in uh, Europe or Japan, or is it completely a different situation? Well, as I mean, as I I see it, um, and going by the recent statement made by Yellen in Jackson Hole, I think at this stage the Fed is more in a wait and watch mode, and examining how the measures they have taken thus far will affect the medium term outlook. But when the GFC struck, the central banks brought policy rates to near zero. But when that failed to feel the recovery, they started experimenting with innovative tools, such as um, the quantitative easing, which basically is about creating new money um, uh, to to buy securities. Uh, The resultant uh, push of the money uh, has um, um, hoped, I mean, it it was hoped that it would encourage banks to lend. 
it seems that uh, i mean at least us officials uh, fed officials have been saying that quantitative easing has helped the uh, has helped the us but i i believe the jury is still out mm-hmm. the other measures which um, um which they can use to keep the interest rate zero or negative for a long time um like, like japan i mean yet another option is 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 to give handouts to people you know what what they call um, um helicopter money right um basically bypassing the banking system uh, but I, I believe some of these uh, measures um, uh, would probably be used in a very extreme type of a situation before we let you go I'd, i just would like to get your sense uh, as far as if you can get a pulse of this situation i know uh, everyone will have uh, perhaps differing opinions to some degree but do you believe there will be a rate hike uh, within uh, 2013 um well uh, I, I i do not uh, i do not think that um, at least in the next couple of months um, uh, there could be a rate hike uh, by the fed I mean, I, I believe that um, the, the the Fed will continue to uh, follow the wait and um, watch strategy, and until uh, the, uh, the the fundamentals are definitely showing, um, you know, solid uh, trends, uh, it is unlikely to uh, to take um, uh, the, to take the step of uh, raising interest rates. I mean, um, you know, the, some of the things that can happen with unconventional um, uh, sort of policies is that they can backfire, mm. and um, and 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 that can lead to you know uh, creating further financial instability. So uh, every country or every central bank would uh, would like to ensure that um, they are not required to you know backpedal on things. Um, and and they are already discussing at the moment, um, you know, what uh, more proactive role can the the legislators or the the the, the fiscal policymakers can play. Um, so these are some of the issues uh, that will come into play. But I, I, I have a I have a feeling, having worked in the central bank myself for, for many years. Um, that uh, at least in the next couple of months uh, they will continue to have a wage on what policy. Uh, probably in December we could expect um, a rate hike. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us and lending us your expertise, Professor. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. I was Professor Milin Satie from the University of Canberra. Professor Yang is here in the studio. It looks like, uh, at least the timing-wise, you and the professor are sort of on the same wavelength, right? Uh, December, if it's going to happen, it's, it's going to happen in December. Uh, it does not discount the uh, possibility that there could be a major event that could switch, I, I guess, flip things upside down. And Either way, in China. I mean, yeah. uh, if uh, it's just... If the third quarter uh, GDP uh, report is extraordinarily good, uh, though it doesn't seem like it's going to be that for uh, for the moment, or if the inflation just suddenly skyrockets up to 2.5 or 3%, then they're going to raise the uh, interest rate in September. But How likely we, are those events? Uh, almost zero, I would say, <laughs> because uh, you know it's only a month from now. Yes. And if we really had that kind of a... Uh, event, then we would have felt it already. Uh, so uh, I think they're going to uh, pass on September. And 
again, unless the situation is extraordinary in November, uh, they're not going to do it in November because that's only about a week or 10 days before the U.S. elections. So unless um, Janet Yellen was secretly in the pockets of Donald Trump and was uh, going to do some sort of sabotage maneuver and decided, announced, we're going to raise rates by uh, 50 basis points and, and it sends the markets into a free fall. And I don't know if that, I guess, spurs people to try to choose uh, an, an alternative to the status quo. They're mindful of that, and regardless of political leanings, that's not something that they would want to happen, right? Right, unless uh, uh, unless the uh, statistics between the September and November are extraordinary, I think they're going to uh, try not to change the rates in November because uh, they don't want to be thought of as being political. So they're going to stay as much as neutral as possible between the candidates, and that means I think they're going to leave the rates alone, especially – you know, it's a okay. week to 10 days before the election. So basically you're saying September, October is going to be way too short a period of time for any sort of major event, unless something, of course, external occurs, but for anything to change the conditions on the ground to warrant a rate hike. November, political considerations of the presidential election, that's out. So basically the earliest it could happen, in your view, would be December. Yeah, and I think that's being backed by, like I said, uh, the uh, betting pools that we see in places like London, where it's legal, uh, say that uh, chances are it's going to be December. That's where they have the uh, highest percentage of bettors. We have some smart guys who are central bankers here in Korea, right? So <laughs> you're sort of nodding. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the uh, governor, Lee Ju yeol I'm sure he's very aware of what Yellen said and what the movement appears to be and all this uh, uh, analysis that you just uh, eloquently um, gave us in terms of a potential December rate hike. What do policymakers here do how do they mitigate any potential fallout from here to december okay i think the uh, uh we've always been worried about capital flight from korea and right now what we've seen when we korea has lowered rates or u.s has raised its late uh, rates last year is that while there is capital outflow whenever uh, the interest rate differential uh falls between korea and u.s it's not some, it's not massive. It's going. It takes place slowly, and I think, uh, given the S and P ratings that we had last time, I think that's going to be the pattern here. So uh, there will probably be some uh, capital outflow uh, when December nears, but I think it's not going to be something that's going to be a panic like we had in say two thousand eight. Uh, but having said that, though, we still need to continue monitoring. Uh, to make sure that that doesn't happen. And one of the ways that we uh, try to prevent that is to have these large foreign exchange rate reserves. Uh, one of the reasons that the uh, foreign investors pull their money out is because they're not sure if Korea is going to be able to pay dollars back to the uh, people who lent uh, dollars to Korea. Uh, so if it's a bit, a bit of a paradox, but if we have enough dollars, uh, then uh, they'll they'll know that they can be paid back, so they're not going to want their dollars back. Mm. That's the sort of the twisted logic behind having a, a large foreign exchange rate, uh, foreign exchange reserves. Uh, but the problem is right now that's becoming a trade problem because, well, a lot of economists do argue that you can use the, the large reserves to manipulate 
the exchange rates. Right. And one of the ways that you can avoid that is through swaps. Uh, I know that Korea is uh, uh, trying to get a uh, currency swap with Japan. I really wish that Korea tries to get a uh, currency swap with U.S., Mm. but I know that U.S. is a bit reluctant to give that. But still, I think if Korea wants to maintain what's equivalent to a high reserve, uh, but have less actual reserves so that we don't have to get uh, into this problem of whether Korea is manipulating rate or not. The solution is currency swap with the U.S. All right. Very good. Always a pleasure to talk monetary policy with Professor Young. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.